This podcast details true crime cases. It contains adult themes and may contain descriptions of violence. It is not intended for children. Listener discretion is advised. Thank you for joining me for today's episode of Once Upon a Crime. Falling in love is one of the most exciting and life-affirming things a person can experience. But love is often complicated. Unrequited love is a pain like no other, as is lost love. I guess what I'm saying is that love comes with intense highs as well as devastating lows. In this month's series, I'll be covering cases where one or more people fall in love but find themselves involved in a love triangle and in competition for their person's love and attention. In this episode, two people in committed relationships become infatuated with one another. When one of their spouses is murdered, investigators quickly zero in on the star-crossed lovers. However, they will find it challenging to prove who killed Marlene Warren due to the baffling description of the attacker. This is the first episode in the series Love Triangles, the case of the killer clown. Thank you for listening. One other way you can support the show is by becoming a Patreon member. For as little as $2 per month, you can get all new episodes of Once Upon a Crime ad-free and hear them before anyone else. Patrons are OUAC superfans, and we show our appreciation for your support by giving you bonus episodes you can't hear anywhere else, as well as exclusive OUAC merchandise sent to you as a thank you. To find out more and join, go to patreon.com slash onceuponacrime. There's also a link on our website, truecrimepodcast.com. Thank you so much. It was a crime that would shock the upscale village of Wellington, Florida. Wellington set itself apart from other communities in Palm Beach County when residents succeeded in establishing it as an independent municipality in 1995. Known as the Winter Equestrian Capital of the World, Wellington is home to many notable people, including actors Glenn Close and Tommy Lee Jones, broadcaster Joan London, and recording artists Madonna and Vanilla Ice. But on Saturday morning, May 26, 1990, the peace and safety Wellington residents found behind the doors of their palatial homes on the country club greens and in the equestrian fields was shattered when a shot rang out in the Arrow Park neighborhood. Forty-year-old Marlene Warren was home with her 22-year-old son, Joey, making breakfast for him and his friends. Her husband of 18 years, Michael, had already left for the day to spend the day at a racetrack in Miami. At about 10.45 a.m., they heard a knock at the door. Marlene went to answer it. Her son heard her exclaim, Oh, how nice! Then he heard a bang. Joey moved as quickly as he could to the front door but was slowed down because his leg was in a cast due to a recent injury. Upon arriving at the entryway, he saw his mother lying on the ground, blood pooling around her head. Marlene Warren had been shot in the face with a 38 caliber weapon and was losing blood fast. Next to Marlene, just inside the door, lay a basket of flowers with two Mylar balloons floating above it tied to ribbons. Joey looked out of the open doorway and observed a strange sight. 
a person in a clown suit was slowly walking towards a waiting vehicle, white Chrysler LeBaron. The clown was in full costume and wearing a yellow-orange wig. Its face was completely covered by clown makeup, obscuring any identifying features. The only distinguishing feature Joey would later recall was that the clown had piercing brown eyes. Marlene was transported by ambulance to Palm West Hospital in critical condition. The bullet had lodged in her spinal cord and she was placed on life support. Her husband Michael and her mother Shirley stayed by her side as did her son. After 48 hours, doctors determined that there was no brain activity and Marlene was removed from life support. She was declared dead on May 28, 1990. Marlene Warren was born Marlene May McKinnon on April 15, 1950, in Maycomb County, Michigan. Her mother Shirley and stepfather Bill Twing described her as friendly, loving, and kind, someone who would do anything for anybody. She grew up on her family's farm with her two sisters. She loved to bake as well as to paint. In a chilling and ironic twist to this story, Marlene's favorite subject to paint was clowns. Her mother said the whole family loved clowns. They even had a room in their home dedicated to clowns. Clown figurines lined the shelves, clowns were stitched onto throw pillows, and paintings of clowns hung on the walls. After her daughter's death, Shirley gave a television interview to Court TV, where she proudly displayed some of her daughter's clown-themed artwork. Marlene became a teenage mother, giving birth to her first son, John Ahrens Jr., when she was just 15. She and the boy's father married, and they had a second child, another boy, Joseph, whom they called Joey. But tragedy struck the young family when her husband John was killed in an automobile accident shortly after Joey was born. Still a teen bride, Marlene was left alone to raise a toddler and a newborn. Naturally, this was a struggle, but Marlene and her family were close, and she, John Jr., and Joey were provided with love and support from her mother, sisters, and later her stepfather, Bill. When Marlene was in her early 20s, she met Michael Warren. Although Michael was younger than Marlene by three years, he and Marlene were instantly attracted to each other, and Michael fell for the young widow. They married in 1972, when Marlene was 22 and Michael was 19. Michael Warren gained an instant family and seemed to relish his new role as a husband and a father. Marlene was very much in love and couldn't wait to build a future with her new husband. Marlene had always been a hard worker who dreamed of providing her children with a lovely home and a wonderful life. Michael now joined her in these ambitions, and they decided to move from Michigan's cold climate to the warm, balmy breezes of South Florida. In Florida, Michael worked as a meat inspector in Palm Beach County to pay the bills. In the late 1970s and early 1980s, the area was experiencing rapid growth, but property was still affordable. Seeing this as a great financial opportunity, Michael and Marlene began investing in rental properties, which they leased out to new residents flocking to the area. By the late 1980s, the Warrens were successful self-made entrepreneurs. They owned nearly 20 rental properties. By this time, Michael had left his job as a meat inspector and launched a separate business renting and selling used cars. They named the business Bargain Motors. The business model was providing cheap transportation to people on a budget, including affordable used cars and rent-a-wreck automobile rentals. Michael ran the operation at the car lot, 
while Marlene and the boys managed their rental properties. But in 1988, tragedy once again struck Marlene's life. Her son John, now 22, was killed in an automobile accident just as his father had been so many years earlier. Marlene must have felt like she was experiencing a deja vu nightmare. Unfortunately, it was one she would not wake from, and her world was torn in two once more. Some would later say that Michael and Marlene Warren had begun drifting apart in their relationship even before the tragic loss of John Jr., but there was no doubt that his death created even more tension in the marriage. Marlene felt alone in her grief, with Michael gone for long hours at Bargain Motors and pursuing his hobbies. The Warrens were now financially well-off and had purchased their dream home in Wellington, Florida, in the Aero Club neighborhood. The community was an exclusive enclave of luxury properties and country club living. Marlene had settled quickly into the community and became popular with her neighbors, as did Joey. But Michael Warren set himself apart as an outsider. He didn't socialize much with his neighbors. Some even characterized him as having a bad attitude when attending neighborhood events and get-togethers. Michael's interests also kept him away from home and his wife. He fell in love with horse racing and spent many days at the racetrack placing bets on his favorite horses. His other interests included fast cars and airplanes. Michael Warren invested in all these activities. He purchased a racehorse, drove an expensive sports car, and obtained a pilot's license. These things required time and money and took Michael away from Marlene for long hours. The couple began to argue frequently, often about money. Another source of friction between them was Michael's shady business practices. In 1983, he was arrested and charged with odometer tampering. He was accused of turning back the mileage on the used cars at Bargain Motors to sell them for a higher price. He pled guilty and received 18 months probation. The plea deal also allowed him to keep his business. There were other suspicious incidents connected to Michael Warren during this time. In one incident, he reported his racehorse stolen. It was later found dead, with Michael offering no detailed explanation of what had happened to those who inquired. Some suspected he was involved in some kind of fraudulent insurance payout, but this is only speculation. However, suspicions about Michael Warren were renewed when the private plane he purchased disappeared. It was recovered, but it was badly damaged, and he received yet another insurance payout. But the most significant change in the relationship between Michael and Marlene and Michael Warren's lifestyle occurred after he began doing business with another couple, Sheila and Richard Keene. By 1990, employees of Michael Warren's used car business, Bargain Motors, noted a severe breakdown in their boss's relationship with his wife, Marlene. The couple was overheard arguing, mostly about money. A witness later told investigators that Marlene arrived at the car lot one day and was overheard yelling at her husband. According to the employee, she called him a, quote, sinking ship and threatened to take away everything he owned if he didn't, quote, quit screwing with her. Another employee told investigators that Michael Warren hated his wife. The employee even claimed that Michael Warren promised to, quote, make someone a very rich person if they would promise to get rid of the bitch, end quote. Warren went on to rage against his wife in front of employees, stating that he wished he'd never married her. 
But Michael Warren had another reason to want his wife of 18 years out of the way. His employees suspected he was romantically involved with a 27-year-old brunette named Sheila Keene. Sheila was the wife of Richard Keene, whose nickname was Spud. Spud Keene worked as a tow truck driver, and Michael Warren had hired him to repossess cars. Keene, a large imposing man, would show up in his tow truck and haul away vehicles from Bargain Motors customers behind on their payments. No one argued with Keene, who looked dangerous and was alleged to be a former member of the Ku Klux Klan. His wife, Sheila Sheltra Keene, grew up in the Florida Everglades. She considered herself a country girl at heart and was tough but pretty, with long, straight chocolate brown hair, a slim figure, and a dazzling smile. Many local boys she grew up with were interested in her, but Sheila had bigger plans. She wanted to escape the Everglades. She often spoke about her dreams to become rich, live in a beautiful house, and have all the finer things in life. Those who knew her believed she was a person determined enough to make it happen. Early in her life, however, she tried to find a shortcut to her dreams and ended up with a criminal record. In 1984, at 21, she was arrested for shoplifting. The mugshot taken at the time of her arrest shows a pretty brunette with long straight hair parted down the middle, smiling a 100-watt smile straight at the camera. She appeared confident even while being booked. Two years later, she was busted once again for theft and sentenced to probation. Sheila was hanging out with some tough characters in her early 20s, including Richard Spud Keene, with whom she had begun a relationship. Keene was 20 years her senior, and soon after they met, he was imprisoned in Georgia on drug charges. Sheila moved to Georgia to be near him. They married when he was released in 1987 and together moved back to Florida, where Keene began working for Michael Warren. At first, the three of them, Michael, Richard, and Sheila, all ex-felons, hit it off and were often seen hanging out as a trio. But later, employees at Bargain Motors noticed that Sheila began arriving alone while her husband was out driving the tow truck. Sheila and Michael began spending a lot more time together. They went on long lunches, with Michael not returning to the office until sometimes late in the day. Employees later said it was obvious that Michael and Sheila were having an affair. Around this time, Sheila and Richard Keene split up. Sheila filed a protection order against her husband, saying he had abused her and threatened her life. Did he suspect his wife of having an affair? Was this the reason for his ire? And did he know it was Michael Warren with whom she was having a dalliance? These are questions that remain unanswered, and we can only speculate. We do know that Sheila Keene moved out of the home she shared with her husband and into an apartment. We also know that Michael Keene was seen coming and going from the apartment frequently. He was there so often that Sheila's neighbors thought he was her husband. Michael Warren allegedly paid the rent for this love nest. Did Marlene Warren suspect her husband of having an affair? Were the escalating arguments and her threats to take everything from him as a result of this alleged infidelity? Again, we can only speculate. But Marlene's son Joey and Marlene's mother would later tell investigators that in the weeks before her murder, Marlene confessed to them that she wanted a divorce. She also expressed that she was afraid of Michael and what he would do to her if she pushed for a divorce. Joey confirmed that his mother was planning to move out of the house and away from Michael. Shirley Twing told investigators that her daughter specifically said she feared that Michael would, quote, kill her.
Marlene Warren was shot and killed on her doorstep in May of 1990 by someone dressed as a clown. Even with this bizarre detail, investigators began looking at the most likely suspect, her husband, Michael Warren. Within hours of the shooting, police received an anonymous phone call telling them to investigate Michael Warren as a suspect. They soon heard rumors of his affair with Sheila Keene. Both Michael and Sheila not only denied having involvement in Marlene's murder, but also denied they were anything more than friends. Investigators saw a clear-cut motivation for Michael's possible involvement. Not only did they strongly suspect him of cheating on his wife, but they also saw an obvious financial benefit if she were dead. Michael Warren would lose at least half of the marital assets if they divorced, but would now retain 100% of everything they owned. On top of that, he was entitled to receive a significant payout from Marlene's life insurance policy. But there was one problem for this theory by investigators. Michael had a rock-solid alibi for the time Marlene was shot. He had been at the racetrack in Miami that morning. Nor did they find any evidence that he'd paid a hitman to kill his wife. The next most likely suspect, then, was Michael's girlfriend, Sheila Keene. Homicide detectives made special note of the fact that Marlene was shot not in the chest, but point-blank in the face. In their experience, this pointed to the attack being personal. In their opinion, the person most likely to have a personal grudge against Marlene Warren was the person in love with her husband. But once again, they ran into a problem. Joey had described the shooter-slash-clown as a male, possibly about six feet tall. However, Joey admitted he couldn't be sure of the shooter's gender because the facial features had been obscured by white clown makeup and a yellow wig. He could only say that the shooter walked more like a man than a woman, so this was why he described the shooter as a man. As a result, investigators only had a vague description of the shooter, a taller person with brown eyes. But they had a good description of the getaway car and the clown costume. And they had the basket of flowers and the balloons left on the doorstep. They began with these clues. First, they sought to track down where the clown costume had originated. Soon, they found a costume store whose employees recalled someone coming in two days before the shooting in urgent need of a clown costume. The person insisted on purchasing the costume that day, even though the employees told them that the shop was closing and they would have to return the next day. The customer was so insistent that they finally agreed to pull together the urgently needed items, a ruby clown suit, yellow-orange Afro-style clown wig, Bob Kelly brand face paint, and a sponge nose. The total came out to about $80, and the person paid in cash. The customer was described as female, about 5 foot 8 inches in height, with long brown hair and brown eyes. The woman had been dressed in jeans and a men's work shirt, they recalled. One of the employees, Deborah Offord, picked Sheila Keene out of a photo lineup, as the woman who'd purchased the costume from the Spotlight Costume Shop, two days before Marlene Warren was gunned down in her doorway. The flowers and balloons were determined to have been purchased at a local public supermarket, as that was the only place where Mylar balloons were sold in the local area. One of the balloons depicted Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. The other was heart-shaped and imprinted with the words, You're the Greatest. Once again, Sheila Keene was said to resemble the person who'd bought the flowers and balloons just two hours before the shooting. The witness stated that the woman was slim and attractive, 
but moved in a kind of lumbering gait, or what was described as, quote, male energy. The supermarket was located in Palm Beach County, just a short distance from Sheila Keene's apartment. Another break in the case would come four days after Marlene's shooting, when a white Chrysler LeBaron resembling the one described by witnesses leaving the scene was discovered abandoned in a Winn-Dixie parking lot in Royal Palm Beach. The supermarket parking lot where it was found was just eight miles from the Warrens' home. No items were found inside the car, except for a few telltale fibers. Investigators' reports note that orange curly, believed to be synthetic, fibers were found in the vehicle. In addition, long brown strands of hair were also collected from the car's interior. The LeBaron had been reported stolen from Payless Auto Rentals, a competitor of Michael Warren's Bargain Motors. Investigators continued to compile evidence that pointed to Sheila Keene as the shooter, but they also wanted to determine if Michael Warren was involved in the planning. Their theory still posited that Marlene Warren's murder had resulted from a deadly love triangle. They got some interesting information that seemed to confirm their theory from an attorney named Christopher DeSantis. During the investigation, DeSantis contacted them to share a conversation he'd had with Michael Warren a year before the murder. The attorney had been representing the Warren's son, Joey, in a legal matter, and while he was alone in a courthouse hallway with Michael Warren, Warren asked him an odd question. If a husband was to kill his wife, what would happen to her estate, he'd asked the attorney. Upon hearing this question, DeSantis said his first impression was, Is this guy nuts? Why would he ask this question with his wife present? But when DeSantis looked around, he saw that Marlene was no longer nearby. DeSantis said he put aside his personal feelings about this odd inquiry and answered it as a hypothetical legal question. Well, he began, the issue of inheritance is not really an issue of whether a man kills his wife. The question is whether he is convicted of murdering her. If he's convicted, he won't inherit. But he would if he weren't convicted or only convicted on a lower charge. DeSantis then added a caveat, which he said later in hindsight he wished he hadn't. But if he had a friend who did it, meaning killed the wife, and they couldn't tie the husband to it as an accessory, then he'd get away scot-free. DeSantis continued, As another example, if you were disguised, say if you were to wear a clown costume and couldn't be identified as the perpetrator, you might not be tied to the crime either. Investigators now thought, holy crap, Michael Warren took this hypothetical conversation to heart and planned to murder his wife and get away with it. They also believed he had a very willing accomplice, namely his mistress, Sheila Keene. Now they believed they had a very plausible theory about a plan to kill Marlene Warren and strong circumstantial evidence against Sheila Keene. But they couldn't definitively tie either one of them to the murder. The eyewitness account was profoundly flawed, and they knew it probably wouldn't hold up in court. And they had no murder weapon. Marlene had been killed with a 38 caliber weapon. Richard Keene said he and Sheila owned such a weapon, but that, as far as he knew, it had been misplaced months before the crime. The gun was never found. Detectives doubled down on their investigation of Michael Warren, who still claimed he and Sheila Keene had never had a romantic relationship. They caught a break a year later, when he was spotted at a resort in the Bahamas with Sheila Keene. Without enough evidence to tie Warren to the murder, they looked into his business after reviewing his previous criminal record of shady dealings. They found several violations. Along with two of his employees, Warren was charged with grand theft, 
dealing in stolen property, falsifying insurance claims, and running a chop shop out of Bargain Motors. In all, he faced 20 racketeering charges. Warren was tried and sentenced to nine years behind bars. Sheila Keene continued communicating with him, but remained legally married to Richard Keene. Warren was released from prison in 1999. Sheila divorced her husband the following year. In 2002, Michael Warren and Sheila Keene were married in Las Vegas. Michael Warren and Sheila Keene Warren, the prime suspects in the murder of Marlene Warren, married and relocated to Abington, Virginia. Sheila now began going by the name Debbie Warren. She dyed her hair blonde, and she gained a few pounds. She no longer so closely resembled the woman suspected of being the killer clown. The Warrens went unrecognized by the people in their new community, who described the couple as extremely close and very much in love. They were said to be a nice middle-aged couple who were happy and financially well-off. As predicted by the attorney he'd spoken with, Michael Warren, unable to be tied to his wife's killing, inherited their entire estate. He and his new bride purchased a lake home for $600,000, a boat, and new cars. They also purchased a business just over the state line in Kingsport, Tennessee, a drive through restaurant called The Purple Cow. Michael and Debbie Warren were well-liked in their community and attended holiday gatherings, charity events, and parties with their new friends and neighbors. They lived a good life vacationing together, giving each other nice gifts, and generally enjoying their time together. They had just celebrated their 10th anniversary when, in 2013, the Palm Beach County Sheriff's Office received a grant to reopen some of their unsolved cases. Marlene Warren's murder had stuck with investigators as one that should have been solved and her murderer put away. They just needed the physical evidence that would stand up in court. A joint investigation began between the PBC Sheriff's Office, the Florida State Attorney's Office, and the FBI in 2013. They began re-interviewing witnesses now two decades later. DNA tests could now be run to analyze the physical evidence in Marlene Warren's murder, namely the fibers and hairs collected from the stolen LeBaron. The DNA results would take three years due to the backlog of cases being re-examined for DNA evidence by forensic laboratories. Meanwhile, in 2016, Michael and Sheila, a.k.a. Debbie Warren, sold their restaurant and retired. In May 2017, a feature article was published in a Palm Beach County newspaper marking the 27th anniversary of Marlene's murder. The article informed the public that Michael and Sheila were married and living in Virginia. Locals who remembered the brutal murder that shook their small community were outraged, and calls and emails were received by investigators that pressed them to solve the case. The timing was on their side when that same year, the DNA results came back. The wig fibers found in the LeBaron matched those found in Sheila Keene's apartment, including some found inside her shoes. But most crucial to solving the case were the long brown hair strands that were found in the LeBaron. DNA could be gathered from them because the strands still had skin cells attached at the root. The DNA extracted from the hair samples in the getaway car matched hair samples taken from Sheila Keene's apartment. In other words, Sheila Keene was identified through DNA to be the killer clown seen driving away in the stolen LeBaron. On September 26, 2017, Sheila and Michael Warren were stopped while driving home from a trip to Vermont. She was arrested. While being handcuffed, she asked police, 
Is my husband being arrested too? The answer was no. Investigators only had evidence to charge Sheila in the murder. Sheila Keen Warren was fingerprinted and photographed upon being booked for first-degree murder. In her mugshot, she is once again smiling. Sheila Keen's trial was postponed due to the COVID pandemic. Her attorney asked that she be released on bail, but given that the prosecutors were seeking the death penalty, the request was denied. With the trial being delayed for such a lengthy amount of time, and so much time passing since the murder, prosecutors worried their case would fall apart as witnesses' memories faded. Some original witnesses were now deceased, as 30 years had passed since the murder. In response, prosecutors decided not to seek the death penalty and also began to consider filing a lesser charge. Her attorneys began working out a plea deal. On April 19, 2023, just weeks before her trial was set to begin, Sheila Keen Warren, now age 59, pled guilty to second-degree murder. She was sentenced to 12 years behind bars and given credit for the 2,039 days she already served in jail. She will likely serve about two more years before being released. Many people in the Wellington community felt that the punishment didn't come close to fitting the crime. While Marlene's son, Joe Ahrens, says he saw no remorse from his mother's murderer at her sentencing hearing, he is nevertheless relieved that the case was finally resolved after 33 years. He had also hoped for a lengthier sentence, at least 15 more years, and was disappointed when she only received 12 with time served. Still, Aaron says, I'm okay. I have to be. Anger is no good. It will ruin you. He says what mattered most to him was that the truth was finally revealed about who killed his mother and why. As for Michael Warren, it appears that he is waiting patiently for his soulmate, the woman who would kill for him, to return. Now in his 70s, he still lives in Virginia and spends his time gardening and doing DIY projects at his lake house. He continues to insist on his wife's innocence. Sheila Warren stays in close contact with her husband and still professes her love for him to this day. She has never implicated him in the murder. The house where the killer clown knocked on the door in Wellington, Florida in 1990 and gunned down Marlene Warren has become an infamous murder location. The curious still drive past it and snap photos. The residents of Wellington are still plagued by the dark scar that shattered their safe and friendly community 33 years ago this year. That will do it for this episode of Once Upon a Crime. We are now proud to be part of the Audio Boom Network. Make sure to follow or subscribe to the podcast. It really helps us out. I'll have two more episodes of Love Triangles this month and a bonus episode releasing on Patreon. To become a Patreon member and get ad-free episodes, bonus episodes, as well as get access to all new episodes of Once Upon a Crime before anyone else, go to patreon.com slash onceuponacrime to find out more and join. Once Upon a Crime is written and produced by me, Esther Sanchez Ludlow. Emma Battaglia provided research for this episode, and my co-producer and audio editor is Lorena Garcia. Thanks for listening and telling a friend about the show. Until next time, be good to one another.